Hello, Slashies, and welcome to Slashed, a horror podcast where we talk about the scares, the screams, and the spooky stuff. My name is Grace. And my name is Wouter. And today, we'll be talking about the 2009 animated film, Coraline, which is a first for this podcast, uh, mm-hmm. branching out a little bit into an animated film. Uh, we watched this one quite a bit ago, mm-hmm. uh, and really liked it back then, whenever we got around to recording this we're doing that now, mm-hmm. so I'm really hyped to get into this, but before we do, of course, as always, Grace, would you grace us with another lovely synopsis? Yes, thank you. So Coraline is a 2009 stop-motion horror fantasy film written and directed by Henry Selick and based on a 2002 novella by Neil Gaiman. The film follows 11-year-old Coraline Jones as she and her family move into the Pink Palace, an old mansion-turned-apartment block. Coraline's parents are struggling to write and publish a new garden catalogue, and because of this, they have little to no time for their daughter. Feeling dismissed and neglected, Coraline often finds herself wandering the mansion and its mystical surroundings. Here she meets and befriends her landlady's grandson, Wyborn, or YB for short, and the stray black cat. YB gives Coraline a butternight doll that looks just like her, which he found among his grandmother's belongings. Not long after, Coraline discovers a small door in her living room, which at night becomes a portal to the other world, the home of a fantastical and uncanny copy of the Pink Palace and its inhabitants. Coraline returns to the other world nightly, where she's doted on and adored by her other mother and father. Meanwhile, her relationship with her real parents deteriorates. Eventually, the other mother proposes that Coraline stays with them in the other world forever. All she has to do is let them sew buttons onto her eyes. Horrified, Coraline declines and she tries to escape. The other mother, however, traps her into a mirror where the ghosts of her previous victims reside. The three ghost children reveal that the other mother is actually a monster named the Belle Dame, who kidnaps children and eats their lives. Their souls are trapped in the mirror as long as the Belle Dame has their eyes. Otherwise, we freeze Coraline, and together with the stray black cat, she challenges the Belle Dame to a game. If Coraline can fight the children's eyes and her parents, the Belle Dame will let all of them go. If not, the bell then gets to sew buttons onto Coraline's eyes. Coraline succeeds with the help of the cat, who ends up severing the bell dam's hand, and everyone is let go. Coraline narrowly escapes the other world, which crumbles without the bell dam's powers, but the severed hand follows her back home. Real YB and Coraline lock the hand and the key to the other world in a well, and lock it for good. The film ends with a garden party that suggests all characters found a happy ending. Yeah, thank you very much. There's a lot in there, and... Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to be honest, I was a little reprehensive about watching this film before we got into it, because Grace had been talking about it for quite a while, because she had seen it before, I presume. Yeah. Uh, and you said it was really good, but I, for reasons I will go into, have uh, a bit of a quarrel with like these animated, just these type of movies for reasons I won't disclose. So I was a bit reprehensive, and I was like, uh, can an animated film really be that scary? But... Jeez, this film is really creepy. And it's I re- really creepy. And I really liked it. It, is, it. it teaches that line of just, you know, the beautifully made thing that any animation can be. You know, like, I feel like animation is just all, a, a mm-hmm. work of art within itself, like, regardless of plot or story. Mm-hmm. And then it's also just, it uses that sort of beauty and craft to make it that extra sort of uncanny valley Mm-hmm. edge you know yeah i think it's a really tightly written story and probably if you've seen the film and you hear my summary you know that i've i have to leave out a lot of stuff because otherwise it wouldn't be a summary uh, but it really felt like a disservice because 
everything that happens in this film feels important and is really in there to either drive the plot forward or to set up things or to flesh out characters that need to be fleshed out and are important. So if you want to give a good summary, it's almost impossible because you would have to say anything anyway. Yeah, exactly. Um, I hope I still did a good job of it. Yeah, I feel so. Um, but yeah, I think it's a really tightly written film. I can really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. I felt that it all just really followed nicely and everyone was in... I also really liked just how characters are introduced. Mm-hmm. Because uh, you have, you know, uh, during the night, Coraline obviously obviously goes to the, the other world. Uh, but during the day, of course, she has piss all to do because her parents are gone. Mm-hmm. So she goes out to meet her neighbors or she has to go deliver a package to them or something, you know. And that's actually a really nice way to introduce side mm-hmm. characters. Like, oh, yeah, you know, you have these cookie neighbors you have nothing to do during the day, of course you're going to go there. Mm-hmm. And I think, I actually specifically really like Mrs. Spink and Forcible, the two uh, old ladies. Uh, the that, lesbian burlesque the dancers. The lesbian burlesque dancers that live downstairs who um, actually just the sweetest, you know, they, they give uh, Coraline some real sweet sort of motherly advice that mm-hmm. she misses from her mum. And uh, <laughs> I love also these like taffy balls that they have that they've just been sitting around and just gets <laughs> stuck to everything. And they actually give her a, a plot device that I didn't men- or MacGuffin that I didn't mention in the summary. They give her a stone that helps her find uh, lost things. Yeah, a snake stone, I think they call yeah, it. Uh, yeah, add a add a, sto- add a stone. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is sort of like this triangular stone with a hole in it, like you use for a Ouija board. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think that actually, um, I love that little bit because like that she used that to find the eyes of the children and they're basically orbs of uh-huh. various kinds. And she just uses it to, to look through it like a looking glass and it just has this sort of video gamey aspect to it almost where everything around so this colorful world that the other world is turns gray and then the only thing that's highlighted is the, the, the object that she's looking for. Yeah. I thought that was really a really neat aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so much like just aesthetically in there it just it just, it just makes sense you know it yeah. just all plays into the sort of feel of a child's fantasy and what i like is that it's not i think you could have done a story like this where the real world would have been really bland mm-hmm. and then you make the other world really colorful and really interesting and really enticing uh, but i feel like they didn't go for that like they did it a bit in the palette like obviously the palette of the real world <laughs> Wouter is holding in a sneeze and it looks really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, the palette of the real world is much more subdued than that of the other world. But the characters aren't bland. No. Like the the two ladies, Mrs. Pink and Mrs. Forcible, are still really interesting. They have these dogs that they... They have have had a bunch of dogs and if they die, they stuff them. Yeah. That's how you say that, right? Yeah, yeah they get them taxidermized. Uh-huh. And then they sew, like, these little angel outfits for them. And one of them is getting fitted because he's getting quite old. And that's already a bit creepy and weird and really fun. And you have Mr. Babinski who has a... Fave character. Dancing mice circus. Yeah, and he's a... Uh, and acrobat ha- himself yeah, yeah and he has that both in the real world and in the fantasy world just mm-hmm. in the fantasy world it's finished yeah and i think that's really a great choice not to make it incredibly black and white no exactly and and it makes sense you know for a sort of troubled child like if you see everything through the eyes of Coraline, then everything is going to seem a little strange or threatening to you regardless of whether it's real or not you know mm-hmm. like 
uh, because I also feel like uh, the both the neighbor ladies, uh, Spink and Forceball and Bobinski, are sort of made to look really big, mm. as in just tall, physically mm. tall. And of course, that would make sense to a child, you know, and uh, that carries over into the other world but then of course a little bit more lanky and they move a little bit more like they're made of mm. spaghetti uh, especially Bobinski because he's got these weird like noodly arms yeah because uh, he's actually just a bunch of mice in a suit yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. Or uh, rats rats yeah but I like that that sort of carries over you know it's mm. all in a way it's just all the child's fantasy or the child's view yeah and I like that that sort of like you said the sort of the world sort of blend and it's not black and white because it's all the same experience and I think this was a really, especially interesting viewing experience for me because the first time I watched Coraline, I was a lot younger. And when I watched it, I was definitely identified with Coraline, not in that I felt neglected or anything, but just in that I was a huge daydreamer as a child and mm-hmm. would come up with these elaborate worlds. And I could imagine myself as Coraline, like, oh, imagine if you find a secret door to another world that would be so exciting and scary and fun. And now I'm looking at it and I'm a little bit older and I find myself mainly thinking, what are these parents doing? Why are they not? Please just give your child some attention, you know, some affection. You can't just... Because they are really neglectful, to be honest. Yeah. Like, they've just moved into the house and they're not even helping her get a bedroom set up or anything. It's immediately like, we have to work and you just have to... Uh, entertain yourself and she she wants she really likes gardening so she wants to set up a vegetable patch yeah and it's like they they couldn't even go out with her into the garden and be like oh you could have your vegetable patch here and i'll help you a little bit and then you can finish it and then you have like a few hours of fun on your own but at least the parent was somehow involved and they're just not involved at all yeah and it's of course even sadder because their parents are writing a book about gardening yeah so even though on the surface they have this common interest they couldn't be further apart so it's mm-hmm. um and that yeah that's just so sad because mm-hmm. I, I don't even think they're willfully like, neglecting herself no. like they don't want to interact with her they're just not mm-hmm. at a level there's not thinking at a level where taking care i, I think in their minds they are taking care of their child mm-hmm. because they are working really hard to provide for their child and in their minds that is parenting yeah and what I do think is really interesting in that is that the the way that Coraline basically perceives this from her mom and her dad, like she perceives it very differently. Like she kind of sees her dad as this guy who, like he really can't help it and he has to work and he would love to hang out with her, but he can't, you know? Yeah. Whereas I feel like she quite literally blames her mom for not being more present. Yeah, and she also feel like she blames her mum for her dad being like this because it's mm-hmm. also kind of implied that her mum is mm-hmm. the sort of dominant one in the relationship and sort of keeping her dad in check as well. Yeah, and then if you if you see the other world as a more as a metaphor, then that's confirmed as well because the other father is almost literally a puppet of the other mother. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's being mm. controlled by strings and he's playing the piano, and that's a really yeah. plays a really swanky song. Go look up Coraline Dad's song on YouTube, and you'll find it. Like uh... that's an interesting commentary on the gender roles in the house as well. Whereas it's much more acceptable for the dad to be like, "Okay, I'm just doing work," 
Whereas it, there's this expectation of the mother that she's doing all of it. Yeah, because the mother is, of course, if you're being very traditional, mm. the one who tr- provides for the child and mm. the dad is the one who provides for the family. Yeah, yeah. Because also I think the mother usually cooks. Yeah. And it's always gross. No, I think the idea is that she is supposed to cook, but she can't because she's busy. And then the dad cooks and then the food is horrible. Oh, right, right, right. But then Coraline blames her mum because she's, well, if mum just cooked, then the food was good. Yeah. She doesn't blame the dad for... Cooking bad food, yeah. Yeah. And that's why the other mother is so wonderful because she's a homemaker and she makes these really fantastical meals with just infinite chicken legs and stuff like that yeah exactly yeah and, and uh, a literal gravy train gravy train and a chocolate tart i think a chandelier with like fizzy drinks in it yeah i'd like one of those it looked amazing yeah i i didn't think we were gonna jump into the uh gender reading this early on no. in the in the we haven't had that written down. Spoiler alert, we write things down for these. Mm-hmm. We do things, write, write these down, even though I said we didn't. Haha. Ha. Uh, just, uh, just guidelines. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And yeah. I feel like the film does it in a clever way. Like, it's an interesting thing that we are noticing, but it's not, you know, they're not hitting you over the head with it. No, and it's you not... You can just watch this kind of, like, straightforward. Yeah, and it's also not, like, we are criticizing the film for that it's not like the film condones these traditional gender no no i think it very much highlights that these are unfair expectations yeah but that it's also quite possible that a lot of children still are still brought up with Mm -hmm. the expectation that this is normal yeah because if you uh then watch movies and and tv shows and you always see the the mom in this homemaker position then you think to yourself, well, why isn't my mom like this? Yeah, exactly. It's sort of, it's sort of a criticism on that idealized hallmark idea of a family. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which, like, that's. I think that's really neat. Perhaps you could think of it if you know, if you were a, a woman like that, if you if you met that ideal of being this perfect homemaker, and your life was just your children, it was just your child. That was the only thing that you really had. Yeah. Then they kind of take that idea and make it really dark in the other mother. Yeah. Where the other mother's... The other mother literally has to sustain herself... With children. With children. Yeah. Because there's nothing else she has in her life. That is her identity, basically, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's also a bit of a criticism on the idea of the... I'm going to stick to the mother here. The the woman who can do it all, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that is sort of this expectation that um, sort of tries to break free from that traditional mm-hmm. gender role of, okay, the woman is the housemaker. But then you have sort of the mother who also works full-time and still is able to combine that with kids and with mm-hmm. whatever interests she has, you know? And how that's also a unrealistic expectation of the mother. Mm-hmm. So I like that the, the sort of... That both sides of the coin are yeah. bad and that... People just don't fit into a mold. Like, yeah. you just need to make it work together. Or those single parents are valid as well. Mm-hmm. But you just need to make it work your own way. Yeah. And not live up to any expectations. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes extra interesting that the symbol of the other mother is the, the buttons. Yes. Or she quite literally turns the children into dolls. Yeah. And dolls, of course, baby dolls being this symbol of how young girls are taught to be nurturing at like 
a very very young age oh. they put a doll in your hand they're like you have pretend to be a mother now yeah those baby born dolls still freak me out just why would you do that just the ones that pee themselves especially like oh this was one you have to feed and change it's like no please don't <laughs> give this to children don't make these i had those dolls i yeah. loved them yeah i okay it's fine if you mm. love them as a kid but I, I think it's kind of messed up it is yeah if you think about it it's i had a lot of different toys so i would have dolls and transformers and and stuff like my parents definitely just it got me a toy regardless of like what gender it was marketed at uh. um so i don't feel like i ever was forced to play with dolls but then you know i did have like a toy vacuum cleaner and a toy washing machine and then if you think about that it's like why are these toys at all yeah so no blame to your parents but these toys shouldn't exist <laughs> yeah maybe maybe not maybe yeah. something else yeah so apparently this is a really good film about how a gender normative society is bad. Yeah. So good on you film. We haven't even gotten into any of the other topics we've written down. Yeah, criticizing the nuclear family. Yeah. Yeah. Oh sorry, and um No keep going. That also go. ties into YB, who is called Yborn. Y oh yeah. Who is also well, if presumably a member of a family that perhaps wasn't too happy with him yeah because there's got to be a reason why he lives with his gran yeah yeah and then that also explains why initially the other yb seems quite happy to be with other mother because mm -hmm. of course that is sort of the elation of oh okay i have found this adoptive family and everything mm -hmm. is really nice but then still you have plenty of adoptive families that are like also not great you know mm. the it just yeah, and then he... Well, his, his relationship with his grand seems quite nice. Yeah, with so, his like, grand. why isn't that, that... That can be enough, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, really, if you look at it, the only stable relationship in this film, the only stable, like, home, is uh, the two lesbians the two in the lesbians. basement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're thriving. I really yeah. like these characters. I, are they confirmed lesbians? Uh, no, don't think so. I feel uh, like I've read that somewhere, but that might as well have been like a hot take and not like an official. But I don't think the filmmakers would mind if we were to say that they are lesbians. Like, yeah. I, I think the film is definitely very much open to that reading. Yeah. I, I also like um, uh, all the side characters come back in the other world once Coraline goes to collect all the eyes. Mm -hmm. And they sort of have these, I'm going to call them, quote unquote, boss battles, you know. Uh, everyone has sort of their ultimate form. Yeah. Uh, so their fantasy form, sort <laughs> yes, of. Yes, yes. And Miss Spink and Miss Forceball back in the day were burlesque dancers. Yes. And they have this really awesome theatrical number where they sort of combine acrobatics and burlesque. And turn eventually turn into like a mermaid and like Venus, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think there was some interesting commentary there as well because they of course look like older ladies, but yes. then when you do this burlesque number, they first turn into their younger versions. Yeah. And this is when Coraline is looking at them in like when the other worlds still seems nice. Nice, and, yes. And, um, the right amount of threatening. Yeah. Uh, but then when she goes back in the end, I think they look more like they used to. Yeah, and I think they're sort of, uh, they do another number, I think, and then they jump into a bucket together and they come out as sort of one congealed mess of oh, the two. Yeah. And they're made the out of taffy. taffy. Yeah. yeah. Oh. And then Coraline defeats them by sending a troop of fruit bats in the shape of their dog at them that they all get tangled up. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. It's so cool. The design mm. is so amazing. 
So I saw this not really review online. Mm. Uh, there was an article by uh, I think his name was Anthony Patio. I'm gonna say mm-hmm. sorry if I forgot your name. And they are a psychiatrist, and they did this article about uh, does Coraline suffer from paranoid schizophrenia? Because uh, they are arguing that um, it is slightly abnormal for an 11-year-old to still have fantasy, uh, fantasy friends. And uh, if they do, then these fantasies should not cause the child distress or harm. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of a angle for them to consider the possibility that Coraline was suffering from a mental illness like paranoid schizophrenia. Do you think the film allows for a mental illness reading? Because um, that's not what I got from it when I was watching it necessarily. Because I, but then again, also the gender thing just came up, and it wasn't something I got from the film. Yes, sorry, I um, was looking up uh, an interview with a game, and that kind of goes into this. Um, I think it definitely you can definitely see this as a reading of a child that either has a mental illness or trauma and this sort of the way that she um, relates this because uh, it's quite explicitly hinted at that they have been in a car crash quite recently. The mother is wearing a neck brace and the car is quite beaten up and they seem to suggest that this is Coraline's fault somehow. Yeah. Or at least that Coraline thinks her mother blames her for the accident. Mm -hmm. And I think you could also see the other world as a way for Coraline to, on the one hand, live out this idealized fantasy of what she thinks her home life should be, and perhaps, on the other hand, kind of a way to punish herself for the fact that she ruined her real family. Yeah, so sort of holding up something that she'll never have to herself, Mm -hmm. sort of torturing herself with something good. Uh Uh-huh. Right? That's what you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's interesting because... Uh, I think it's it's a little intense to say that this girl is paranoid schizophrenic, but then again... I wouldn't know nearly enough about that to say, no. to get even close to that, that reading. But I think it, it definitely is valid to see this as someone who's disturbed. To be honest, I personally wouldn't say I thought her fantasies were really strange for an 11-year-old. No, but the, the, specifically imaginary friends is, I think... But does she have an imaginary friend? Other YB. But he is part of that world. Yeah, but within that yes, other world. Yes, if you assume that the whole other world is an, in her head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like they're assuming the whole other world is a fantasy of hers. Um, or a hallucination then. Yeah, I find that a difficult reading. I think it's fine if you see it as sort of a mirror of her psyche and try to work with that. But it, you could apply that logic to any film. Then you could say Harry Potter is about a schizophrenic, paranoid child because all of Hogwarts is made up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's not... <laughs> you know, sure, <laughs> I guess you could read it that way, but that isn't really supported by the text yeah. because I do think they are... Like, real YB sees the hand as well. Yes, he does, yeah. And the cat appears in both worlds. worlds and, and also appears to be trying to help Coraline in both worlds. So, and it's also implied that uh, YB's grandmother's sister was one of the ghost children. Is that implied? I think that's actually confirmed. Yeah, it's, yeah. Con- oh, it's yeah. confirmed. Yeah, and that's yeah. why she had the 
the doll. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. that's why she she wallpapered over the door and she told why we never go into the house, etc. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. So I think the world is real in this world. So then this reading of her have, wouldn't really work. No. But what I was looking for was this uh, interview that um, Gaiman did with uh, CBS uh, where he said that if you think of this film as having like this really disturbed scenes for a child, it's because you're looking at it from an adult perspective. Right. And as soon as we see a child in danger, all our alarm bells start going and we think, oh my gosh, this is, gosh, this is so disturbing, this is so dangerous, please someone help this child. Where children will just think of it as being a really interesting, fun and a little bit creepy adventure. Yeah. I mean, we all read, like, Goosebumps, you know? <laughs> yes. And children like horror as well. And they, and fairy tales are all freaking terrifying. Yeah. And technically, nothing happened to Coraline in the no. end. She turned out... Well, that's up for debate. We'll get to that later. Mm. But technically, nothing happened. No, no. So in that sense, yeah. She mm. just had a really wild adventure and then came back home for dinner. She And she was the hero. Yeah. So well, that's actually kind of interesting, yeah. Yeah, I I would say that it's argue against a reading then that it's. Uh... It's a very bleak reading of an already kind of bleak film. Mm-hmm. Because I want to get into the ending now that we're talking about a topic of bleak. Mm-hmm. Because you pointed this out to me that the ending might not be a happy ending. Yes. Could you remind me because it's been a while. So at the end of the film. When you have the you have the garden party, yeah, and the garden party felt a little bit off to me because suddenly everyone has loads of, of attention for Coraline, right? And the parents yeah. are really adoring, and they finished the catalog and everything went successful, and they have created this lush garden patch basically, and yeah. that's why they're having a party. And all the neighbors come over. Wiley's uh, Wiley's mom, uh, grandma. grandma's there, you know. And I just felt like that had this. It was a little bit too sweet, perhaps, uh, because nothing seemed to have really changed fundamentally for her parents to come around like this. Uh, because the parents also don't remember having been trapped by other mother. No, so they they didn't learn a lesson like, okay, if we don't pay attention to our child, she's going to be more vulnerable for predators. Predators, yes. And then they zoom out and you see the there's black a stray black cat on the sign for the pink palace yeah and he disappears and he could only do that he he was only able to do that before in the other world yeah and in all honesty i think it was just a cute little thing they did at the end yeah um like the magic is still out there but you could definitely read it as Coraline is still trapped in the other world just a different version of it. Yeah, because the ghost kids also say that the magic will never go away as long as the other mother is alive. Mm-hmm. And they didn't kill the other mother, they just cut off her hand. No, and even weirder, they locked the hand and the key to the door in the same well. Yeah. And so if the hand is able to get out, it already has the key. And doesn't the well feed into the other world? That was also implied, yeah. Because it's a hole, this just goes two ways. Yeah. So yeah, I really like the idea of it being a dark twist ending, mm-hmm. even though it's only slightly hinted. And I really like that because, you know... You can read it two ways. You read, yeah, yeah, and that those are, as you know, the films we know and love, the ones you can read two ways. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know what that noise was yeah. I made. That's a, I think that's a bisexual thing. He? Like, you need to read it two ways. Aha, uh-huh, yes. 
I'm just hearing and hawing over there. Yeah, so fun. Uh huh. And I, I was wondering at first, like, will this be... We didn't watch it necessarily with the intention of reviewing it. Because I said to Auta, I don't know how scary this is going to be. Because like I said, last time I watched it, uh, I did find it scary, but I was a lot younger. And maybe now we'll watch it and I'll think to myself, ah, it's, it's really a kid's film. But actually, this is probably, of all the films that we reviewed, the one that got me the most. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like not even that I f- like found it terrifying or anything, but just it. I found it so spooky, so eerie, so uncanny, so unheimlich. Yeah, um, especially the kids, the ghost kids are the worst. Those oh, are, they always are, but in this film specifically. And the the hand, like the hand, becomes like a little spidery hand thingy. Ah. Oh. Yeah, because the I think does real mother do it too? Just sort of tapping on the table. Like, I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah and then yeah. other mother does it too, like this. Uh-huh. I don't know if you can hear this. Um, but then, of course, once she starts revealing more of a true form, it turns into these sewing needles, and then it becomes this really, yeah. really sharp, sort of grittier teeth noise of the sewing needles tapping on the table. It's such a good aesthetic. Yeah, it's amazing. And I forgot the opening of the film, like the real opening where you still see the credits. It's the other mother taking the doll and revamping it to look like Coraline. Yeah. And you see her sewing needle hands and just, she's not doing anything creepy, just like getting fabric, cutting fabric, sewing the buttons, but it's so eerie. So good. Yeah, it's amazing. I also really like speaking of buttons, like when Coraline's playing the game of finding the ice, she has to do so before midnight or before something like that. So sort of before night's over. Mm-hmm. And then when she's outside, she can see sort of the moon oh, getting yeah. eclipsed. And then once it's all through the eclipse, you can actually see that it's a button that's going over the moon. And I thought that was such a cool yeah. little shot there. The aesthetic is so good. And they do so many really interesting and fun things with the button motif. And later on, the other mother becomes more like a spidery type. And they do a lot of interesting things with the furniture. Like they have like a closet that kind of looks like a beetle and stuff like yeah, that. It's yeah, done yeah. really in a really clever way. Yeah, exactly. And I also really like coming back to sort of video gamey aesthetic. Like once the fantasy world starts crumbling more and more, it becomes all gray. And it, at one point it becomes pixelated mm-hmm. and sort of just sort of these, these little squares of pixels start flying off into the void. Yeah. Almost like Coraline is sort of breaking out of the matrix, you know, mm-hmm. like sort of detaching herself from the fantasy world and stepping back into the real world. But of course, like in the matrix, it's sort of a painful experience. Yeah. And I thought that was really cool. And I, I would really, I wouldn't like a sequel, but I would love another story set in this, like, universe. Yeah. Another one of the Beldam stories. Oh, yeah, that'd be amazing. You know what it kind of reminds me of? It kind of reminds me of Alice in Wonderland. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, you know, mm. girl goes through a door, magical world, mm-hmm. scary queen. Dark Narnia. Dark Narnia, yes. I mean, Narnia has the whole, like, ice queen who offers Edmund Turkish delight. Yeah. Kind of like Coraline was offered the buttons. Yeah. I do the, not like Turkish Delight that much. No, I don't like... I, I'm not sure if I've had Turkish Delight before because mm. it's not the same as Marzipan, is it? No. No, I don't, I don't think I have. Oh, is it, are they the, the, the sugar, the sweetened fruits? Oh, yeah, I've had Turkish I like Turkish Delight. Yeah. Yeah, but not too much at a time. Just one or two pieces and then you're good for like a week. Yeah. Sell your siblings for it? I don't have any siblings, so that would be a good deal, yeah. <laughs> Tricked you there, ice queen. Get shit on. Give me that Turkish delight. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, you make a bad leprechaun. Yeah. 
I wouldn't mind uh, doing the other Lycat films because they're all kind of horror fantasy. Which ones are those? It's Paranorman and The Box Trolls, but that one isn't really horror. So I guess just Paranorman. Yeah, okay, cool. We'll do that later. I thought for a second that Frank and Weenie was also a Leica film, but I think that is a Burton production. Huh. Uh, while Oscar like, made a point about this being a horror film or not, <laughs> on Google, this is marketed as horror slash family. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'd watch this with my kids or with our kids, I guess. I would. Yeah? Yeah. Well, not if they're like two, no, but like if they're nine. eight. Yeah. Yeah, but also I feel like this is one of those like stealth killers, you know? I feel like this is the kind of shit that looks really innocuous mm-hmm. and then your kid will just be crying for a week and that's like, oh. Yeah, or your kid will find it more of a fantasy adventure film whereas we find it more of a horror film. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if it's our kid, they're gonna have to, you know, get used to horror films. Yes, because we'll definitely be watching them. Like, sorry, mommy and daddy have got their podcast to make, sweetie. You yeah. can either join or go play with your Legos. Because we'll definitely still be doing this in like 12, 15 years. I hope so. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Just keep bringing out the good horror movies, A24 Studios. <laughs> <laughs> Give us the Lighthouse too. Give us the Northman. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, excited for And that. I really want to see The Green Knight the as Green well. The Green Knight. Really looking forward to yeah. that. We're going to watch the Colorado Space. I, I've tried to find that through certain means, but it's really hard to find without paying for it. Might have to. <laughs> yeah, we might. Uh, if anyone is interested in that, um, you can buy it for us. Yeah, we'll <laughs> set up a Patreon and then you can rent us the color out of space from Amazon Prime. That's yeah. the thing. I'm happy to pay for films like to rent them, but I just don't want to make a fucking Amazon Prime account. Yeah. The least I have to do to do with Amazon, the better. Mm. To be honest, I would recommend this film to well nearly anyone. It's absolutely beautiful, uh, has a good story. It's creepy, but I think you could definitely watch this with your family. And yeah. um, I think this is a really great film. I think this is one of those films that you should watch with for Christmas. For Christmas? Yes, yeah, because yeah, it is a nice twist on a family film. It'll get people talking. It's mm. cutesy. It's nicely made. I think there's, and it's still like you don't need the whole psych, the the whole like literary analysis thing that we are doing. Mm. Like this is just a film that everybody can enjoy. You like if your kid's brave enough, watch it with your kids. <laughs> And I think uh, it's still this sort of, if you don't take the bad ending, it's still this wholesome family moment. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's really nice for Christmas. Yeah. Not Halloween? Yeah, well, no, for Halloween, you have to watch... Hocus Pocus. Hocus Pocus? I've not seen Hocus Pocus. <gasps> okay, uh, we're going to watch Hocus Pocus. I've been Grace. I've been Wouter. <laughs> and you've been... No, actually, uh, one more thing before we close off. Uh, I really wanted to give a shout out to Cooper Cole, the director from Sightless that we covered last week, yes. because he actually reached out to us on Instagram. And let me just pull up the message so you can mm-hmm. uh, say what he sent to us, because it's actually really quite sweet. He said, um, I enjoyed your review. It's fun to get everyone's reaction to a film. Glad I caught it and keep up the good work. And we say keep up the good work back to you, Cooper Cole. You're a super cool dude. Thank you so much for engaging with us for taking the time to listen to our podcast yeah it's really amazing and if you hear this you rule yeah thank you so much for spreading the love okay so i've been grace i've been and, and you've, you've been, been slashed, slashed. <laughs>